This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my God! Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it! Players, coaches, insiders, and of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy duddies! Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsin' Around into the offseason Super Bowl. 53 is behind us, so everybody in the league is on to 2019, as Bill Belichick might say. I'm Andrew Mason of DenverBroncos.com and Orange of Blue 760, joined here by my partner in crime every weekday on Orange of Blue 760, or one of them at least, Ryan Edwards. And yeah, maybe I said that and you're probably thinking, Steve Atwater? No, no, no. Sorry to disappoint. Okay. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, just kind of... Uh, as we were talking about, you, you get done with the uh, the season, we get done with the Senior Bowl, the Super Bowl, and it goes from this like faucet turn on all the way mm-hmm. to more of a slow drip yep. as far as content goes. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of in the, the midst of where you have to all of a sudden get a little bit more creative. But I, I feel like we've, we, we as a show tend to thrive really well mm-hmm. during that time because... We're, we're ten, we tend to think about things in, in a open forum, conversational kind of way. Yeah, if you listen to our show on Thursday, and if you didn't, you can listen to that at orangeblue760.com. We had a fun debate where we were talking about possibilities for what the Broncos do in the draft and the offseason and ranking them in terms of the level of improbability for each. For example, picking Kyler Murray, not taking a quarterback at all trading up to number one with Arizona to get a quarterback, drafting two quarterbacks. It was fun. And some of Steve's responses were a bit surprising. Yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, again, you're trying to find creative ways to have some of the same conversations. I I, I totally understand. I think most listeners understand that. But we had kind of stumbled onto the notion of, of what's improbable for the Broncos and why we think they won't pursue Kyler Murray and why maybe they won't trade up to number one and the, you know, the cost and that type of thing. But even the notion of having multiple backup bridge quarterbacks on the roster, you know, you've been making the case to have Ryan Fitzpatrick on here. That's not a starting caliber quarterback that most people are going to get excited about, but he'd be pushing Case Keenum so he'd serve a function. But again, that's one of those kind of improbabilities because the Broncos are likely going to go to the draft and get their quarterback, whether it's this year or the next. So I, I think it's kind of a fun conversation to take improbable arguments and rank them in ways of that they could be probable because the fact is we really don't know everything as we sit here today in February. It's funny you mentioned Fitz and yes I'm probably alone on the island talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm okay with that but what is interesting about Fitz and Case Keenum is that these are two quarterbacks that have pretty wide year-to-year variances. Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2015 with the Jets until that last game of the regular season was very good. He even had a good season on the whole with the Buccaneers this past year, even though there was a pretty wide pendulum swing between some of his games. Case Keenum, great in 2017, down toward the bottom of the league among starting quarterbacks in terms of passer rating in 2018. Guys that their form is kind of all over the place, and if you did bring in a Ryan Fitzpatrick to push Case Keenum, you figure at least for this year, one of them would hit. The odds favor that. Well, and that's that's what it's about. It's about giving yourself as many odds as possible. And you and I, 
I know it would be sort of preaching to the choir conversation if we start talking about giving yourself as many bullets in the chamber as possible. At some level, I wouldn't be against the notion of adding two quarterbacks this offseason. In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd be more supportive of that than anything because the reality is after this year, it could be a completely different quarterback room. The quarterback for the Broncos might not even be on this roster right now. Very Everybody true. you're adding right now will be the quarterback on the roster for 2020 because Case Keenum is done after this year, or at least his contract is up. Doesn't mean they won't extend him, but you have to plan for all eventualities. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to make an argument of drafting two quarterbacks, okay, there's an argument to be had there. You'd be developing one behind your starter mm -hmm. because you never know if a Kirk Cousins and Robert Griffin III or Bob, as I like to call him, situation could <laughs> present itself. Or you bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he's, again, another bridge quarterback as you're developing another guy. But you really do have to go to the draft eventually, whether it's this year or next. Well, when John Elway talks about how you want to get a quarterback in and grow with him, I think that screams young quarterback, rookie quarterback. And before this podcast, we were talking about how three years ago the Broncos won Super Bowl 50. Three years ago on the day we're recording this. And before we kind of get into that and our memories of it, it's just interesting to look back at where the Broncos were at quarterback that day compared to what has happened since then. Because that day, obviously, it's Peyton Manning's last NFL game. But at that moment, I think everybody felt pretty good that Brock Osweiler would be re-signed and be the Broncos' starter in the 2016 season. That didn't work out. They bring in Mark Sanchez. They draft Paxton Lynch. And because Paxton Lynch didn't work out, that's proving to be the, the draft pick that sets the franchise back a little bit. It's sort of the downside of if you don't hit on a young quarterback, really fascinating to look back at the last three years and not really in a good way. Because of the quarterback position. Yeah, and, and specifically there with Paxton, I, I really hope – I mean, it did set the, the franchise back. There's no there's no denying that by anybody. It, and it wasn't just the pick itself. It was the ripple effect of the pick, the right. fact that you didn't take quarterback high in any drafts subsequently, and then you put yourself in a position where – you're now, he's not even on the roster anymore. And again, to, to miss so badly that our first-round pick doesn't even make it through his full rookie contract, mm -hmm. not, not to mention the fifth-year option, which is why you take a first-round quarterback, uh, it, it's just going to put you back. So, yeah, it, it's amazing to think about all the what-ifs. Um, if the Cowboys or the Chiefs had gotten Paxton Lynch and the Broncos settled for Dak Prescott, who they had a lot of interest in, where, where we'd be... Uh, there, but uh, as far as yeah, the Super Bowl, I mean, it was one of those things that the lessons learned in Super Bowl forty-eight. That's what I keep coming back. The lessons learned in Super Bowl forty-eight, the roster changes that happened almost immediately after that in free agency, bringing in Demarcus Ware, T.J. Ward, Emmanuel Sanders was brought in. They they uh, of course brought in a keep to leave as well. Those lessons learned eventually led to what would be uh, a, a tremendous performance by the Broncos in that postseason and into the Super Bowl win. Did you see that Bill Barnwell said the Patriots' win in Super Bowl 53 was the best defensive performance in a Super Bowl? Yeah. I don't know about that. 
Scoreboard-wise. Scoreboard-wise, yes, but not yards. Right. Because, again, the, it's the first time in Super Bowl history that an offense, the Broncos' offense, had less than 200 total yards and won the game. It's the first time it's ever happened. So does that not tell you that's the best defensive performance? I would argue that even though the Broncos had 24 that day and the Patriots had 13 last week, I would argue the defensive performance was far more essential, in part because the Broncos' D scored seven points on the strip sack fumble and then effectively set up another seven points with the late Cam Newton fumble that was cashed in for a C.J. Anderson touchdown. So it's not just that they held an explosive Panthers offense. And don't forget, that was a terrific offense that year. They were shredding people. Put up over 30 on the Seahawks, I think, three weeks earlier. Clobbered the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC Championship game. And then not only do you hold them to 10, but your defense effectively scores 14 points. So even if you take the fact that they didn't, that C.J. Anderson scored the second touchdown off those two fumbles, it's a net of three, and realistically a net of minus four for the Panthers. That's hard to top. That's hard for anybody to ever top. But it's the score. It's three points. Yep. The Rams, which again, another impressive offense over the course of the year, setting all sorts of records. But... I don't know. When I saw that, it felt like recency bias a little bit. Like, well, we're coming off of this, the lowest scoring Super Bowl. And and don't forget, you had a defense that pitched a shutout in the Super Bowl. Yes. Because the Ravens did that. The Giants' only touchdown was on the Ron Dixon kickoff return back in Super Bowl 35. Which is wild to think about. I mean, just, just in general. You're talking about the two best teams in the league yeah. playing each other. Uh, and, and you know what? The, the Rams and the Patriots were two of the best teams. Mm-hmm. They were... Picked by a lot of analysts heading into the season as the two teams that could meet. Mm-hmm. The Rams, of course, lost to the Falcons last year in the the first round of the playoffs. Uh, but ultimately, for the for uh, both teams, uh, I just can't say best defensive performance. The Patriots got a timely interception. They held an explosive Rams offense to three points. But a lot of that had to do with kind of beating the Rams at their own game. Yep. And things that the Rams were finding success with all year long, the Patriots took it all away. But that's kind of the hallmark of a Bill Belichick defense, isn't it? Yeah, it's the hallmark of a Belichick defense. Also, the fact that they can adjust and they can do something completely different. They can change their game plan even on the day of the game. Throw in a wrinkle. The wrinkle that we learned about was changing the look pre-snap after the radio receiver in Jared Goff's helmet went off. Two so, defensive calls. Exactly. So Sean McVay couldn't relay anything to him. Crazy. Wow. I, it's I mean it's brilliant. I don't yeah. I can't say why other teams didn't didn't utilize it more, well, to be honest. It the, seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? it? It seems in retrospect, but did we think about that last week? Yeah. No. Did you see on NFL films when they had Belichick mic'd up in Super Bowl 53 last week, and he's talking to the official about the timing of when the open roof yep. at Mercedes-Benz Stadium is going to close 
and the official telling him, well, it's time to close completely with the kickoff. And the fact that they couldn't guarantee it be completely closed at the kick is causing them to say, well, we'll kick to that end. Everything. There is not one scintilla of information of anything that could impact the game that gets beyond him. It's phenomenal. It's, it's really, you have to tip your cap. And I know this is, this is a Broncos podcast, and you're probably listening and thinking, why are you guys going like this about the Patriots? But you have to admire some of what they do. And that attention to detail, I think, is at the top of the list. Well, I'll tie it back to the Broncos. Attention to detail. Is that not what Vic Fangio is here for? Yep. True. Now, I'm not saying he's Bill Belichick. Not going to make that comp. That's kind of almost impossible to do. But would players be coming in late to meetings under Bill Belichick without having some form of punishment? No, but no. as we heard from Derek Wolf last month, players were late to meetings and were getting off with no punishment at all. So that's that's my bringing it back to the Broncos on a Broncos podcast. Well done. Yep. That attention to detail is exactly why Vic Fangio is here and why Vance Joseph is not. That attention to detail is not it, – it ultimately wasn't part of what Vance Joseph was uh, able to impart. E- even as much as he maybe thought he was trying, the, the inches. It's been here before. Yeah. It was here in 2015. Right. When Gary Kubiak was the head coach and Peyton Manning was in his last year at quarterback. The attention to detail, the ability to identify things – and be a step ahead. Remember the AFC Championship game, and Peyton Manning yep. sees the mismatch of Jamie Collins on Owen Daniels. And Owen Daniels had an okay season at that point, and then in the AFC Championship becomes the most important player on the field for a good stretch of that game as the Broncos build a first-half lead. But that's what you got to be able to do. I mean, you, you have to find, like the Patriots, you have to find multiple ways to beat your opponent. And multiple ways to take away things from from your opponent as well. So uh, if you're the Patriots diagnosing Peyton Manning in that Broncos offense, Owen Daniels is probably not the guy you're losing sleep over. He was probably behind Demarius Thomas, C.J. Anderson, Emmanuel Sanders. Yes. (laughs) He's probably fourth, maybe, maybe fourth on that list. Yeah, and yet he was the most important offensive player that day, and that's that's part of what you have to be able to do. So I mean, that's more for Rich Gangarello coming up this next year. Mm-hmm. What is Rich Gangarello going to do with this offense to make the Broncos a versatile weapon and have versatile weapons, and it not be all on Cortland Sutton or on Deshaun Hamilton? And 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 each week, there's multiple ways you could be you. That that doesn't mean you can't be a team with out an identity because the thing is you do have to have some identity to to who you are and what you're trying to accomplish the core thing that you can do well when everything else is breaking down that you know no matter what if we go to this well it's going to succeed every great team has had that even like the patriots they can beat you in a lot of different ways but when everything's going wrong sometimes it's, it's as simple as gronk down the seam and for an example of that Look at when they played the Broncos in those 2015 games. And, you know, Broncos are, are stopping them on fourth down. They're generating pressure on Tom Brady. Yet in those games, when the chips were down, you saw Tom Brady look to the tight end. Late in regulation in that game, back in the regular season in the snow, and then 
again in the AFC Championship game. So even they have their core bread-and-butter thing that they know when things are going askew, they can go back to. You always have to have that, and that to me is the core of your identity. And the Broncos, they haven't had that in a while. The closest thing they've come to it is Philip Lindsay mm-hmm. in 2018. But as we saw in the 49ers game, when opponents know that's not only the core of your identity, but that is really all you can do reliably at that point, then they're going to focus on it. And all of a sudden, Philip Lindsay getting the ball on fourth down is going to be stopped because they know that's where they're going. You know, there was a, there was a lot of things about the Broncos this last year that, that are easily criticized. But one of the things that you do have to at least acknowledge is, and we did it a bit on our show, is, is again, the injuries that impacted the way you could do things on offense. Uh, the trade with DT, losing Emmanuel Sanders, losing your top two tight ends, that, that, that's a lot to deal with. Um, but there was still leadership on that side of the ball. There was, there was still belief that there could be things accomplished on that side of the ball. And, and that's things you can build on. And, and so whether Case Keenum ends up being the guy this year, long-term, whatever, um, there, there's some belief on that side of the ball. And so now you just need to see the at least some of those guys that were rookies last year take a, a big step forward in consistency. That's the biggest thing. Cortland Sutton needs to be much more consistent with his hands, with his eyes. Deshaun Hamilton, he finally got on the field late in the season build on that tim patrick if he gets a role you know build on that whatever else they do but but to that point um as teams start started to realize the broncos and what they're trying to do philip Lindsay, for example being the kind of the workhorse okay you're scoutable what do you do then and i think last year it was just too much it was too much to ask a bunch of rookies playing wide receiver and third string tight end to to be able to handle that adjustment on the fly. Not to mention the fact that uh, you you had a a coaching staff that did struggle with the details. It shows that you've still got some roster building to do. Now, I think the Broncos are in a better spot than they were at this time last year. Certainly with some of the young players that you've mentioned. But once you traded Demarius Thomas and you lost Emmanuel Sanders to injury, you got thin at wide receiver. A few weeks ago, I got a mailbag question saying, oh, with all the talent the Broncos have at receiver, should they move Tim Patrick to tight end? And I'm thinking, Tim Patrick is one of the guys that saved you from complete disaster at wide receiver, and there's not a lot there. River Craycraft is still unproven. You don't know if you're going to get Jordan Taylor back healthy, and these are guys that are depth pieces. So you are not at a point roster-wise. We saw it at receiver. We saw it at tight end. Saw it to some degree on the offensive line. You're not at a point roster-wise where you filled all the gaps. I think you're in better shape, but it's still not a really deep team. And that's going to take probably years of good drafting and prudent decisions on who you retain in free agency and who you let walk in order to get that depth back back where you want it to a Patriot-like level. Because look, if you're building a deep roster, the Patriots are the model. Yeah. Because they are so deep and they have so many guys that can fill specific roles that they can change things from week to week. They can say, this is James White's week. This is Rex Burkhead's week. This in the Super Bowl. Well, you know what? It's a bad matchup for the Rams against Julian Edelman, so we are going to 
hammer them with Edelman time and time again. And the Broncos, they're not at that point yet in terms of the weaponry they have or the depth they have to be able to come at an opponent that way. Now think about the Patriots, man. I mean, they, they lost Josh Gordon. Like, Josh Gordon is a number one for a lot of teams, and uh, he ended up— They let go of Brandon Cooks last year. They let go of Brandon Cooks. They, uh, they traded him to the Rams— and then, yeah, they, they, Josh Gordon, they, they ended up making a trade for him. That didn't pan out. And you think about how, how many teams that would really screw up. They lost Sonny Michel at one point. They lost their other first-round pick in uh, Isaiah Wynn. For the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet, the depth, that's, that's a great point. And it's years and years that you have to build. So, so that, that becomes the challenge for the Broncos. I mean, among, among many now, you know, finding the quarterback, et cetera. But the challenge is to build on that last draft. And, and the challenge you have in front of you is also coupled with the fact that the 2017 draft was such a miss in so many ways. Not everybody, Enough. But, but more than you, most teams can usually survive or at least try to get back into winning ways. You have 11 wins in the last two years, and the draft is a big reason why. The 2017 draft, I mean, look how many guys are already gone. Yep. It could be salvaged. Garrett Bowles improving will have a lot to do with whether it's salvaged or not. Jake Butt staying healthy. Demarcus Walker, if he has a role, right? But but I mean that's those are those are all question marks. But you, you have you've got a hollow roster in part because of yeah missed drafts over and over again, and they've stacked up, and so that's why I mean we'll get into free agency a lot in the next month, but this coming draft is important as well and. While the first-round pick, if you go quarterback, that's the guy who's going to be at the center of it all. But you've got to find contributors up and down. And we were talking about how many draft picks the Broncos have in the fourth and fifth rounds because of trades. They've got you know two in each round. And maybe if you're trying to build a deep roster and just have some guys, maybe you're talking about taking those fourth-round picks and you know maybe taking one of them and converting them to two-fifths taking a third and converting it to two-fourths, stuff like that to try and fill out as many holes as possible on the roster because this is still a roster that is in need of talent upgrades, in particular on the second tier. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna have some turnover this year. I mean, they're, they're, they're moving on from probably both Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray, so you're going to probably need another outside linebacker. You're going to be looking at inside linebacker, especially if you move on from Brandon Marshall. And you need young players already on the roster to hit. Like you mentioned outside linebacker, Jeff Holland suddenly becomes a guy who's one of the more important players on the roster. Agreed. But you still need more. more. Right. You still need more. And then, you know, again, you're undrafted. So those guys have been so key to the Bron- for the Broncos. Philip Lindsay, Jeff Holland, for example. You're going to be looking at cornerback. You have to look at at least a couple of cornerbacks in this draft and undrafted. I think you should be starting to look at safety, even though everybody – we talked to Steve, and he's always like, oh, we got plenty of safeties. It's like, you do now, but by next year – A lot of expiring contracts in that room. Yes, so need to be looking at safety. Uh, Offensive line is always going to be a must. I I expect you to spend a premium pick on offensive line this year. And, I mean, running back even. I I mean, look – Devontae Booker is going into his final year of his contract. You're always looking for running backs. That may be the undrafted pile. Yeah. And the Broncos obviously have had a lot of success there this decade. Yes. But I think they're adding a premium undrafted rookie at running back to 
perhaps make the team or at least push for that last spot on the 53 among the running backs. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. In, in Some years we get into training camp and it feels like, oh, I got I got a good 48 positions I've already figured out on the 53. This year there's there could be some open competitions happening on this team. Well, you have a new set of eyes looking yes. over it in a lot of positions. And now you have some position coaches coming back, guys like Zach Azani and Curtis Modkins at receivers and running backs respectively, and, and Bill Kolar, Reggie Herring on the defensive side. But you've got a lot of different sets of eyes that are – going to be examining these players and look to those eyes what happened in previous years does not matter that's why you always see some turnover when you have a coaching change that also represents a pretty decent philosophical change and I think that's what you're looking at right now with Vic Fangio from Vance Joseph so aside from a handful of guys I don't think there are a lot of quote-unquote safe spots on this roster at this point. That'll change over time, but there are a lot of guys. I think there are some good people that Broncos country thinks are secure that may not be secure at all when all is said and done. That's well how said. it always is. Let's go back to Super Bowl 50 and our memories. First of all, it does seem like forever. Oh, yeah. Second of all, I erred by not wearing my Super Bowl ring today. <laughs> Damn, should have. Oh, you can wear it to, tomorrow. There you go. That's the spirit. Yeah. I'm sure we'll bring it up tomorrow since we didn't get a chance to bring it up today. Right. Third. It sometimes still doesn't seem real. And maybe it's because the Patriots have been the three straight Super Bowls since then. And literally in the last five years, years only the Broncos kept the Patriots from the Super Bowls from 2013 onward and in both cases beat them in the AFC Championship game it's kind of remarkable to think that the Patriots are Peyton Manning and the Broncos away from having put together the single most dominant streak of football in the history of the National Football League that's something that kind of blows my mind if it were it not for the Broncos in those two seasons, this would be a run the kind, the scope of which you usually only see in old-time baseball like the Yankees with Murderer's Row in the 1920s. That's how overwhelming this is. I mean, you're talking about nine Super Bowls with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And you're right. I mean, I don't know if they beat the Seahawks in 48 I don't I don't think so I, I, I the Seahawks had something that year but who knows they beat them in 49 and then against Cam Newton and the Panthers Bill Belichick probably could have figured out a way they would have won that to game. win that game they would have won that game man I mean they get six of nine and that's that's oh. so impressive but yeah it could have been more it could have been uh seven or eight of eleven and you're right. It's it's important to acknowledge that the Broncos. What one of the things that I I feel like they're they're finally starting to realize is they they need to move on from the nostalgia of that season because they're no longer that team. They haven't been that team for some time. 
I think that there's been a mentality about how do we get back to that? How do we get back to doing that? We got Von Miller still here. He was a Super Bowl MVP. How do we get back to that? You're going to have to find a new way to win. And that's one of the things that you do have to marvel with the Patriots. They find, even with the same quarterback, but they do find new ways to win. And every season for them, first of all, starts at winning at home. But every season for them is a little bit different, isn't it? They, Julian Edelman was suspended for the first four games. They still win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady suspended for the first four games. They win the Super Bowl against the Falcons. And here's the thing. It was obviously helped out by the fact that the rest of the AFC East was subpar. Cycling through a rogues gallery of quarterbacks. If you want to get there, if the goal is to be what the Patriots are let's face it for the Broncos it's a lot tougher because Patrick Mahomes is in Kansas City yeah maybe the first goal is to prevent the Chiefs from going on that sort of run right now the Chiefs have won the division every year since Peyton Manning and the Broncos now they haven't won it in the playoffs obviously they have the playoff win at home over the Colts which snapped their home funk that went back to the first Clinton term in the White House, but at the same time, they look like they're poised for something big. And so if the Broncos are going to have that sort of success, they're going to have to deal with the Chiefs. But if Denver can raise itself, then then the Chiefs will think, man, we've got to deal with Denver. But like you said, it's so well put. You've got to move on from 2015 because The paradigm is different, and I know this is broken record time. You've got to have the quarterback. And like John Elway said, you have to grow with the quarterback. And that's why I think some of these veteran options that are being thrown out there, like somebody potentially paying $25 million a year for Nick Foles, I just don't think that's the right direction for this team to go when you need to be focused on finding the right guy for the next decade and even beyond. Did they miss an opportunity not drafting a quarterback in 2018? Yes. Right? I'm afraid so. You kind of have to you I, I mean or, you know what you look or not trading up to get Sam Darnold. We don't example. we don't we're not going to spend segments or days talking about missed opportunities because it it really gets you nowhere, but seeing that Case Keenum is kind of who we mostly thought he could be or would be. I think you have to acknowledge that you missed a whole year of development for who could have been the starter kicking off 2019. And to go back to what we discussed earlier, why didn't you pick a quarterback then? Well, you still had some hope in Paxton Lynch, and that's one example of the dominoes that fall because of Paxton Lynch not working out that because you thought maybe we could get something out of him, You're right. get him behind Case Keenum, right. and he can restart the developmental process again, that maybe it'll work out. So let's not pick a quarterback, but You're here 100% we are. right. And, and look, Bradley Chubb is a valuable player, and you have to focus on what you are, not what you could have been. But, yeah, you could be a year down the road with a Sam Darnold if you'd moved up to, say, number three to get that pick from the Colts and – yeah, it's tough to think about, but at the yeah. same time, but it's 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 Paxton. It's it's right. m- more than more than them not liking those quarterbacks. It's Paxton, right? And that that's what so, so people will point to the Broncos 
taking Chubb instead of right. the quarterbacks. It's not that. It's Paxton. It's not taking Chubb or in or the quarterbacks. It was Paxton. It was the belief that Paxton still might have something, and you didn't. You weren't quite ready to walk away from that first rounder yet. Yeah. But you know how you can fix that? Get it right this year. And as we often say, if you have a conviction on a quarterback, you do whatever it takes. You move heaven and earth to get him. If your conviction is on Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins, you do whatever it takes to get that guy. And then throw him out there when he's ready. Be prepared to live with some bumps, but also rely on the fact that there's still enough firepower on that defense, in part because you still have those guys from 2015 to where you could have a young guy in there but have that side of the ball helping him, providing some support on days when he was off. So I want to end it on that optimistic note that you don't want to live in the past, but you do want to grab just enough from the past to help you bridge the way to what you hope is a promising future, one that will allow you to get past the struggles of the last three years. Well said. Ryan, appreciate it, man. As always. For Ryan Edwards, I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for joining us as we went horsing around. Talk to you next time. This has been another edition of Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horsin' Around.